Amen. Thank you so much for being here and being a part of Outward Church. Um, as you know, we're doing uh, our normal Thanksgiving thing. And uh, what we do over Thanksgiving is on Thanksgiving Day, we serve a meal to many different families. We're taking on about 100 families this year. Sometimes we take on more depending on what comes in from the local schools. The local schools, uh, we have at least one, possibly two, that we're working with right now. We're waiting to get um, information back from them as far as uh, who we can serve and, and so forth. And so we're going to take them a cooked Thanksgiving meal, and we're going to take them some toys, and we're going to take them a Christmas tree. And I want to tell you uh, what happens. When you walk into someone's home who was not going to have Thanksgiving and you get to bring a meal to them, this is life-changing. This is life-changing. When they don't have anything, when there's no, there's no Christmas decorations up, there's, there's not a whole lot going on, this is life-changing. And so what we get to do as outward church is we get to be outward because we are outward, right? We are outward, and because of God's generosity towards us, we get to be generous towards others. Because of his incredible generosity towards us. It is, our salvation is not based on us having done something to earn God's uh, favor. God has been favorable towards us. God has given us all kinds of things, most noteworthy salvation. And so we get to express that in a material way through food, through sustenance, through joy. We can pray for them. We get to uh, talk with them. It's a way for us to get into the community and into people's homes in ways that we normally would not have the benefit of doing. And so we're asking the entire church to rally behind this, and many of you have. We've already raised, uh, I believe it's at least a couple thousand dollars, and I, I don't have the exact number with me right this minute. But um, right behind us here is uh, our THX 2015. That's what this is called. Uh, THX wall. And what that wall is communicating is what the needs are. We wanted you to be able to see how you can be involved. And so when you go back there, you're going to see some cards that are on a wall. Like this one says, I can be a lumberjack, which simply means that you can help get Christmas trees. And it's going to tell you uh, how to sign up and select an option and so forth. And you go online and do that. And so what we want you to do is we want you to take this card and then there's a table that's just to the left over there. As we go out, and we want to ask you to uh, take the card with you and then say, I want to do this. Help me get signed up for this, and they're, they're going to do that. Or you can say, I can push a shopping cart. Or you can say, I can give $35. Um, or I can give $70. Or I can give $140. You can sponsor a family. You can provide um, a meal for folks. Uh, or I can work an oven. There's a, a lot of different ones back there. Now, why do we do this? We do this because... Uh, we uh, have experienced the generosity of God, as I've said, but this is fundamentally who we are as Christians and fundamentally who we are as a church. Our church name is Outward Church. What that means is that it doesn't stay in here. The worship in here goes out into our community, not in cheesy songs, but in the way that we live our lives. We get to worship Jesus in every part of our life. And we especially want to communicate that to people who do not have as much as we do. We especially want to do that um, for the folks uh, throughout our community. And one of the things that this does is that this enables us 
to have a first interaction with these folks. It gets us into the school. We go cook, uh, cook in the school. We cook at another uh, camp, I believe. I'm not sure where the second kitchen is right now, but um, we, we go cook in, in, in many different places. We get to meet people from the community, and so it's an awesome opportunity. And so I, I want to invite you to be a part of that. And then finally, lastly, on Thanksgiving morning, we meet uh, in the morning. We'll tell you what time here in the next couple of days. It's normally somewhere around 8 or 9 o'clock. And basically, we, we get together, and there's at least 100 people there, maybe more, and you get to be a part of this. Now, don't not show up because you're like, well, you know, they normally have 100 people. No, this is an opportunity not just to serve. It's not just a need that's filled, but you get to be served at the same time by being able to be a part of this and being able to serve these people. It does something to you. It doesn't just do something to the person you're giving to. The giver is also blessed in the midst of that. And so we show up then, and we, we gather meals, and then we walk throughout the neighborhood, or we drive to homes and so forth, and we get to go in and give them these gifts. And so those are some of the opportunities that we have. One more thing that we've added this year is that <clears throat> we've added an option to go buy a toy. We normally go and buy toys, and we will still continue to do that. But one of the things that you can do as a family is, uh, or a family, a community group, a couple of people, a single person, whatever the case may be, is that you can go into a uh, local toy store or Walmart or wherever you want to go, and you can go pick out some toys for some kids. This would help us so that we have to buy less toys on the day of. It also frees up more dollars for uh, other things so that we can do nicer things for these folks. And so you can go do that. And so what I want to encourage you to do is that if you're a family, I want to encourage you to sponsor a family if you can, and then also go buy uh, some toys. Maybe buy the same amount of toys uh, that would, you know, uh, uh, or a toy for each of your kids if you have kids. Or maybe if you're thinking, you know, one day I want to get married and I want to have uh, seven kids. You know, maybe you should just go buy seven toys and just say, you know, just imagine what they would look like and all the, the hell that you'd be going through at the time and just think about, just be glad that it's not you, Red. I'm just kidding. I enjoy my children, but that was a Freudian slip. But uh, you can go buy toys for them and it would be an awesome experience. So imagine what your future child, what your current child uh, uh, would enjoy and go buy them something and then bring it back here. We're going to stack it all up and then we're going to go deliver it on Thanksgiving Day. We're normally out of there around 11 o'clock um, and then some of us stick around to help clean up. So you can help out with all of those things today after service. Don't forget this. Do it. Everybody be a part of it. That would be awesome. If you will turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1, we are in there. I want to tell you uh, <clears throat> that when I was a kid, while you're turning there, James chapter 1, if you don't bring a, bring a Bible, I want to encourage you to do so. I especially want to encourage you to bring a, an actual Bible. It's, it's okay if you have an app or something like that. That's fantastic. I'm glad you're looking at something. But I want you to have something in your hands. And the reason why that is is because I don't know if you can see my Bible at all, but I have lots of red there. And the reason why I have lots of red there is I'm underlining and I'm highlighting different things. And this, what this tells me is that when I go back and read James after a while, I'm going to go, oh, yes, I saw that that was... A, an important passage. So I want to encourage you to have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we have a Bible for you. We'll give you one. And so uh, we, we can give that to you and we'll, we'll help you understand that. But we're in the book of James. Now, when I was a kid, my, uh, I got in trouble and I got grounded. And my parents uh, said, before you go out, uh, you have to memorize the uh, first chapter of James, I believe it was. My brother just reminded me of this uh, just recently. And so I really wanted to go to the football game at Sprague High School uh, in town here, and uh, I really wanted to go, really, really wanted to go, and so I, uh, 
I was like, I was feverishly trying to memorize this, but then pretty soon I came to the conclusion that this is not going to happen. Now, my memory is horrible. I, I have a horrible memory. It's, it's, it's awful. I cannot remember anything. And so um, my parents had left for the night, and my grandfather was there. And so they said, when you get it memorized, you can say it to, to Grandpa, and then you can, you can go. And so I, I just thought to myself, oh, what's the quickest way to do this? And so what I did, I don't know if any of you remember, like we used to have uh, cassette tapes, right? And then you had like a, like a ca cassette tape recorder as well. And like if you really wanted to listen to a song, there was no iTunes, there was no internet. This is before uh, Al Gore, but uh, there none of those things. And so... Uh, uh, you would like record a song on the radio and then like you could listen to it back and it was horrible uh, quality. And I used to listen to like Poison and Def Leppard and some of those fantastic bands of the 80s. And so anyway, I got this great idea and that is that if I can record Poison, I could also record James chapter 1. And so I spoke into the tape recorder and I read James chapter 1 and I recorded it and then I stuck it in my Sony Walkman um, which it, if anybody remembers what those are, they're about this big, about that thick. I don't know where I put it. I probably had like hammer pants on, and so I probably put it down there or something. And so if you know what MC, who MC Hammer is, I'm really dating myself this morning. And so I put it in there, and then I broke the headphone thing off, and I stuck the headphone down my sleeve and put the headphone in my hand. And then I sat in my grandfather's room with my head on my hand, and I quoted... James chapter 1 from, from memory to my everlasting shame. And so, uh, so uh, that's, uh, that's, that's how much I know about James. But um, in any case, uh, we are in the book of James. And when I'm reading through this passage, the thing that I'm seeing is I'm, I, as I'm seeing this, this weightiness to this book, the importance of this book in our life, your life right now, your life and my life right now. Like at, at Outward Church, if you've been here for any amount of time, we talk about the gospel incessantly. We're all about Jesus and what he's done for us, to love Jesus and to live outward. It's all about Jesus and him on the cross. But some of us, I was talking to a friend recently, have received a gift, but we haven't unwrapped it. We've received the gift of the gospel, but we're not playing with it. We're not enjoying it. We're not enjoying what God has given us. God's gospel that he gives us through Jesus Christ enables us to live a life that's different, enables us to live a life that we're able to, to use and that we're able to function properly in our world because God, as the designer, has created us in such a way that we would work properly. When we go outside of that, bad things happen. Now, what we've been talking about is that oftentimes, in chapter 1, verse 2, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when we, you meet trials of various kinds. So the headline of the next few verses that he's talking about is all about trials. It's about the difficulties that we go through in life. And what I have seen throughout my life are people, Christian people, who have been sideswiped and sidelined through trials in their life. They either just say, forget you, God, I'm going to do my own thing because you didn't bless me in the way that I wanted you to bless me. But trials are not an indication of punishment. They may be, at times, uh, disciplined for stupid, uh, stupid things that we've done. But many times what trials are is trials 
are a loving way for God to direct us and lead us. There is no other way for us to grow other than to experience the fallout from the decisions that we've made or for us to just be confronted with the frailty of life and to understand that I am not in control. That is God's goal in your life. And so trials are so many times the thing that you need to see happen. And so what James says is this. I'm just reviewing here very quickly. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom. What he's saying there is he's saying if you're going through a trial, you need to think about it properly. But he says, you've got to believe and not doubt. You've got to have faith and not doubt. If you're going to ask God what he thinks, you better listen to him. It's, it's, it's moronic to say, okay, I'm going to ask God, but then I'm not going to listen to him. I mean, how many times have we had a conversation with someone who says, you know, uh, I, I really think I, could go, I should go through this course of action in my life. And we say, I wouldn't do that if I were you. That's going to end in, you know, difficulty and stress and things are going to happen and then they don't listen and then it's, you know, life comes apart. So if you're going to ask, you've got to listen, you've got to hear it, you've got to trust God in the midst of that. But then uh, he goes on to say in verse 9, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. And the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Now what he's talking about there is he's contrasting a couple things. He's contrasting the poor and the rich. But that's not the only thing that he's contrasting here. Think of it this way. Uh, when I was a, a kid, another story from my devious past, I uh, was uh, up in the hills with a bunch of hick friends of mine. And we were four-wheeling, and we came upon this, uh, this uh, gathering of people, um, and many of us were partaking. Now, I was a month away from my 21st birthday, but I'm, I'm out in the middle of nowhere, and I thought I could get away with doing something wrong, and this is wrong. If you're underage, you should not be drinking. But I thought, I, I'm a month away. Why shouldn't I be able to partake? And so I decided to have a beer. And then all of a sudden, uh, police show up in uh, Jeep Wranglers. I mean, they just come out of the woodwork and just like, bam, and uh, gather everybody up. We're all standing in a line. And the police officer says, just tell us. What's going on? Just be honest with us, and it's going to go better for you. So he goes through the line, and he's basically saying, hey, have you had anything to drink? No. Have you had anything to drink? No. Have you had anything to drink? No. Now, I'm, I'm about at my 21st birthday. God's doing some stuff in my life, and I'm saying, I realize I'm out drinking when I'm not 21, but, you know, I want to be honest about that. I want to be honest about my mistakes. And so I walk up, and I say, you know, I, I trust this police officer, and I say, uh, yeah, I, I, I had a beer. And he's like, okay, cool. Writes me a ticket. I'm like, hey, I was honest with you. What's, what's going on? He's like, well, <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't have been drinking. I was like, oh, great, you know. So I take the ticket. It's basically a misdemeanor charge at this point since you're over uh, 18, uh, similar to a traffic ticket. And so I, uh, I take the ticket, and like usual, I forget. I forget that I've got this ticket, and I forget to go to court. So then I finally go, okay, oh, crud, I better, you know, reschedule. And so I go to court. And so I'm sitting in court, and mind you, I'm in Staten, Oregon. I mean, this is not a metropolis. This is, anybody from Staten? Yes, yes. See, it's Hickville, right? Isn't that right? It, it, yeah, lots of Hicks over there. Uh, my kind of people, right? So I, uh, I was in Staten. The guy in front of me, uh, you know, is talking to the judge. And the judge says to that guy, he says, um, uh, Mr. So-and-so, uh, you have been uh, ticketed for uh, failure 
to have a rearview mirror. This is a true fix-it ticket. Have you fixed your rearview mirror? And the guy says, yes, sir, I put the door back on. And, the guy, and, and, the, and everybody erupts in laughter, and I was like, oh, so this, you know, this judge, he's kind of nice. And so I, I walk up, and I, uh, I, you know, I say, yeah, I'm Mr. Porter. And he says, Mr. Porter, you have been charged with failure to appear and uh, minor in possession of a controlled substance. Uh, this is punishable by a year in jail and a, you know, it sounded like a million-dollar fine, and I'm sitting there just going, "Oh my gosh, what is going on right now? I'm I'm about to be charged. I'm I'm in, I could go to jail for this." Apparently, this failure to appear was kind of a big deal. They want you to show up to these things. It was a it was a new uh, bit of wisdom for me. But uh, so I said, uh, "I have no idea what to do. Like, uh, how do you plead, sir? Uh, guilty, not guilty, or no contest?" And everybody in the courtroom is like, what's he going to choose? And then I feel something behind me, and I look behind me, and a police officer has come up behind me, and he's, I mean, he's like two feet behind me, standing like this. And now I know, this just got real, right? I mean, this is, this is serious stuff. And so I say to the prosecutor, who's sitting right over here, this gal, I say, what should I do? What should I do? By the way, when you're in court, you should never ask a prosecutor that if you're on trial. What should I do? And she says, I don't know. I can't advise you. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. And everyone is sitting there saying, what is he going to say? So I have to think through this. If I say not guilty, then that means I'm, uh, I'm lying because I was guilty of not showing up to court. And I was guilty of, not show, of uh, you know, minor possession of alcohol. Uh, if I say guilty, I'm going to jail right now. So I decided to say, okay, I think I said uh, no contest. And luckily the police officer walks away. So I get out of there and some, I've got a friend who's a lawyer and he helps me out through this thing. But listen to this. Every day of your life is a court appearance. Every single day of your life is a court appearance. There's a judge, there's a jury. There's something going on in your life and essentially what's taking place is that there is a, a court proceeding and there, there is a verdict that is going to be read. You're, you're going to plea, it's going to go through a court proceeding and then they're going to decide whether uh, you are guilty or not guilty. Every single day of our life, this court appearance happens and we walk into life and we're dealing with this court appearance because there's something that's going on. There is a verdict that's being read over your life all of the time. And this verdict has deep meaning in your life. What this speaks to is essentially the human ego. Another way to put that is your self-esteem. Whatever this court throughout our life says we believe is true, and we take that and we say, that is now my self-esteem. That is now my ego. Whatever this court has to say is true of me. And so we walk through life and we say what they have said or what I have said is true of me. The verdict has come in and this is what is true. Now James, what he's saying here is he's saying this. He says, let the lowly brother, and he's talking about the humble brother. Some of your translations might say the, the brother in humble circumstances. But he's talking about people who are poor. 
that they're poor. They don't have a whole lot. And one of the things about them is this, is that he says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Now, this is completely countercultural. It's just like our society. What, how do we look at people who are poor? Do, are they exalted? No, our entire society has absolute disdain for poverty. Your entire life is set up to build your resume. David Brooks, who is a fantastic writer, columnist, uh, he comments on uh, PBS and so forth, but he uh, was giving a uh, you know, commencement speech at a uh, graduation, and essentially what he said was this, your entire life has been set up to build your resume virtues. Your resume virtues, meaning this, like everything about you Every, every, when people have been speaking to you, what you've been learning, what you've been talking about, everything you've been doing has been poured into the idea and building you up and trying to build up this resume to build up this idea that you are an important person, that you have value, and that you are somebody who can go out into the world and be successful. And what this often does is that it builds us to this point where we're saying, we're asking this question, am I living up to what I've been trained to do? Or am I living up to the way that my life has been playing out or, or, or the way that I was trained by my parents or what people think around me? Am I successful at what I see as the highest value? Am I successful? We're always asking this question, especially men. Am I successful in what I'm doing? Gals can oftentimes uh, resonate either with that, because many of you want success in many different ways, but you can also resonate with uh, more personal things, perhaps relationships or friendships that you have. You may say, am I successful at being a mom? Am I successful at the things that I'm doing? We're always asking this question, am I successful? Because there's been a standard, if you will, a law that's been written down, and we are saying, am I fulfilling that law in my life? Our world oftentimes looks at people who are poor, and we would not say they are exalted. We, say, we would say that they're humiliated. Look at the uh, political world today. Between Democrats and Republicans, liberal and conservative, what's happening there? There are two ways to deal with the poor or the rich, if you will. And oftentimes, they have uh, varying solutions for the same exact problem. Both of them are looking to economic solutions to this problem. And they're essentially saying, on one side, they'd say, well, we need to spread out the wealth. And on the other, other side, they'd say, no, more people need to have more money. And so therefore, then it can kind of trickle down, if you know what I'm talking about there. So there's two different types of answers to the same problem. Our world looks at this and said, says that there are people who are poor, and this is horrible. They're being humiliated and oftentimes we believe the same thing. Our life, we think that humiliation comes through the lack of success. We think that humiliation comes through the lack of success and that exaltation or being lifted up or being, being somebody who people like comes through being rich. You can see it on Facebook really easily. And on, on Facebook, how many times do we check our Facebook and check how many likes we've had on my, my uh, catchy post? Or what I just did this weekend. I just went to a concert. I don't know. Not many of you liked my post. But uh, we, we do this. We look, at, we look at how many likes do I have? 
How many people have shared the content that I've, that I've shared? How many people are looking at the picture that I have on, on my page? We are looking to social media and to our society to say, have I been successful? Do people like me? And what we're saying to them is we're saying to our world on Facebook or on Twitter or whatever social media you're on, MySpace or something along the... I'm, I'm just kidding. There's no MySpace anymore. But uh, we, we look to that and we say... What do they say about me? What is the verdict about my life? What's it going to say about me? And what does that mean? We oftentimes look at our life like that and we say, that means something. And we place ultimate value on whether that verdict comes in as a positive thing that we want or as a negative thing that we don't want. And what does it do to us? What does it do? Oftentimes what it does is this. It either brings about pride or despair. It, it brings about this depression that we say, you know, people didn't like what I have. Or I have, not, I have not reached or arrived at the financial place that I thought I was going to be. Many of you are in your mid-20s, uh, early 30s, perhaps uh, e even older and, and so forth. And at any point during this period of your life, Many of us are saying, like, I feel like life should have been started by now. I should have more money in the bank. I should have more investments. That was me. I was walking through my 20s and my early 30s just saying, I, I don't feel like I've been successful yet. And, by the way, I was a pastor at the time, going, Where, my, I'm, I'm not successful. I'm, I'm dealing with this depression. I'm dealing with this, this uh, downcast attitude that says that somehow I have not been successful. And what's happening right there? There is a court that is speaking over Matt Porter's life, and it is saying something about me. It is saying, Matt, you have not been successful. And whether somebody from the outside is saying that, or whether I'm saying it, somehow I believe it. The verdict is stamped. And I'm taken away. I'm cuffed and stuffed. And basically, I'm imprisoned and I'm enslaved by this verdict. And it says, you are guilty. You are guilty. But the person who sits in pride, the person who oftentimes is rich, says, you know what? I am successful. I have been successful. Everything I touch turns to gold. I have a friend like this. I mean, the guy, he just, all he has to do is like go outside and smile, and people are like, hey, I'd like to invest in what you're doing. You know, I mean, it's just like everything works for him. It like drives me crazy. I'm like, how can you be so successful? I hate you. No, I didn't really say that. He's a really good friend of mine. But he just, he's successful. But what this success does, when we meet the standard that we've set for ourselves or that people have set for us, what happens is this, is that pride comes in. So that there's this pride, or there's, there's this despair, or there's this arrogance, or there's this depression. And so what's our solution to it? A worldly solution is this. We've got to build you up. Everything, everything in our world is oftentimes geared around this idea that I need to build up my self-esteem. I need to have more self-esteem. If you have a problem in this area, you need more self-esteem. If you have another problem in this area, you need more self-esteem. If you're a criminal, you need more self-esteem. If you need any of these things, you need more self-esteem. Tim Keller talks, this about, uh, talks about this in, in a great book called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And he essentially says this, that our solution, 
towards the problems of our society is oftentimes to say this, you need to think more of yourself. You need to think more of yourself. But at the same time, can't we look at people who are very rich and yet very arrogant, who have huge, huge amounts of money, who have lots of things in life? That was a reference to Donald Trump. Anybody watch TV around here? Gosh, they have, uh, they have lots of money. They, they're arrogant. They're prideful. And basically what we're saying, we're saying this. Hey, poor person who has not been successful, you need better self-esteem. You need more pride. And so we say, you need more pride. You need more pride. You need more pride. But here's the problem. Oftentimes, the lowly brother has a problem with pride as well. We always point the finger at the rich person and say, you prideful, arrogant person. That may be true, but the truth is, is that I'm also prideful and arrogant. I'm also prideful and arrogant because of this, because I haven't reached a standard. All of my thoughts revolve around the fact that I haven't met that standard. And what's happening in my life and what's happening in my mind is that I have created this courtroom. I have said it has read a verdict over me. And then I commiserate over this, and I, and I just basically say, I am not su successful, I am not this, I am not that, I am not all of these things. And then what happens? It does affect my relationships. My relationships start to fall apart because then I put this weight on my wife and say, you need to help me be successful. And she has a big job ahead of her if she's going to do that. I mean, she, it would take so much. You need to help me be successful, or I need to go to my work, and I need to work super hard, and I need, and I need to grow things, and things need to expand, and all of this stuff, and what's happening in my life? My self-focus is so self-focused that what takes place is that the truth is that I'm really actually a prideful person, because I believe that everything is about me. I believe that everything is about me. Everything is speaking into who I am. And so what happens is this. If, if someone offends me, if someone says something wrong, if someone cuts me off, if someone has done something to, unjust towards me at some point in my life, I go over and over and over that situation and so what takes place is that I have this bitterness that's rising up in me and it's rooted in this in my pride, in my pride. And so our worldly solution to say, you know what, you just need more pride, you need more self-esteem, is really just going in the wrong direction. Because the rich man already has a lot of pride. And he says, look at everything I've made, look at everything I've done. I have, I have met this success, I have met the, the goal, I have, I have reached this pinnacle in my life. In one uh, place in, in Tim Keller's book, Tim Keller is a pastor in New York, by the way, whom I, I really like his, his writing, but he was talking about Madonna, and Madonna being this person who is incredibly successful. I mean, if, by, I mean you may disagree with the morality. I disagree with the morality of, of, of whatever she does, but in, in, in any case, but she's incredibly talented. You look at this woman and you say she has incredible talents. She has made it to the pinnacle of her career. She's one of the very few people that's known by just one name, Madonna. I don't even know her last name. Madonna what? She can be Smith for all I know, but she's just known by one name, right? And here's this person. She's incredibly successful. She's reached more fame than many, many, many other women artists in her world, and she still does not feel successful. 
she reaches a point, a pinnacle, and she gets to this point where she says, I've finally arrived, I've finally gotten here. But then what happens is this, is that it fades away. And then she gets to another point, she gets another hit song, and she reaches this point, but then it fades away. So even when I'm successful, what happens is this, is that it just fades away constantly. It's constantly fading away, so my success is, is not lasting or my success is incredibly elusive. And what James is saying here is that there's something completely different. But the way that you can read this wrongly is you can say, you know what? The person who's poor, the lowly brother, should boast in his exaltation. He just needs more self-esteem. And then, he, and then verse 10, which says, and the rich in his humiliation. You know, rich people, they just need to be a little bit more humble. And poor people, they just need to be a little bit more proud. But those are working at cross-purposes. And the reality is that both of them suffer from the same thing. So what's James talking about? What is James talking about? He's talking about something that you and I both need. And it does really have to do with our finances. Our finances, in many cases, are the root of so many things that are going on in our life. We allow money to speak into us. Do you know how many times money speaks into our life? When you get into debt... When you buy too big of a house, when you get to the point where you, where, where you get so overwhelmed with the level of payments, do you know what that's saying? It's saying, I don't have enough. The verdict about me will be guilty, if, and, and I will not be successful if I'm not perceived in this way. Do you know how many things that affects about your life? Your money and the way that you spend it has ultimate meaning in your life. And in many cases, directs the trajectory of your life. And this is not true for all marriages, but many marriages end because of money issues. And those money issues end up working their way into sex issues. And, and, it, and it works all the way through our life as we get deeper and deeper into debt. Money affects so much of our life. And what James is saying here is that he's saying this, like, when you're in the midst of a trial and you're dealing with all of these things, you need wisdom. But verse 9, listen to me here. Like if you think that you just need more success, if you think that you just need more money, if that's what you're thinking, you're off. If you've been here over the last several weeks, what we said was this, verse 4, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This idea of steadfastness means this. It means, it means don't get out from underneath of this trial. And oftentimes what we think is this. I can get out of this trial if I just dig out financially. I can just get out of this trial if I just dig out financially. Our political system revolves around it. We can get people out of this trial if we produce an economic solution. Our entire world believes that somehow just more money is going to fix your problem. But James is saying here, as he's saying this, to us in America today, you're the richest nation that ever was. You have more stuff than anybody could do anything with. You're the richest nation in the world and it's still not fixing your problems why in the heck do you think 
it's going to work in your personal life. Why do you think that's going to work in your personal life? I'll tell you why. It's because your ego, your self-esteem is so often riding on that. And your mind is telling you that somehow you need to get a success under your belt. You need to find value in all of these things. And it's making you and I crazy. Now here is what you need to know. Here's what you need to know. There has to be another way. Politics will not, that, that, those issues will not resolve. I don't know about you, but I don't hold out a lot of hope for any political party because it's continually an issue. It's continually an issue. Politics isn't going to fix it. And James likewise would say this. He would say, don't depend on politics. Don't depend on finances. Don't depend on self-effort. Don't depend on more self-esteem. Don't depend on pride. Don't depend on these things. So what's he What's he talking about? What's he, what's he mean when he says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation? Well, he's talking about brothers. And who are brothers? They're men and women who are involved in a fight together. And the fight is, is, is for their life in this world. Their fight is because of Jesus Christ. He said at the beginning of the chapter, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's speaking to these people that are re religious exiles. They're refugees. And they're poor. And they're just thinking, if I could just get a little bit more bread, if I could just feed myself, if I could, if I could just get a little bit more money. And he's saying, stop depending on this. You're a brother in the faith in Jesus Christ. You're a sister in the faith. And brother, I've got to wake you up for a second. You're a brother in this thing with Jesus Christ. And you have to rethink what's going on. And what's he saying? Well, he's communicating something that the rest of the New Testament communicates. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What's he saying through this? He's saying this. If The Apostle Paul says this. If there is a courtroom, if you're in a courtroom every day, and every day that courtroom comes down with a verdict, and that verdict is saying this, and saying you're either guilty or you're not guilty, you're successful or you're not successful, or people like you or they don't like you, or you're a good mother or you're not a good mother, or you're this or you're that. Jesus says this, there's already been a court date. And yeah, you missed it, but somebody stood in for you. And that person wasn't guilty, but they took the blame. But they took the blame. And so someone showed up for court for me, and they stood in my place. And the judge said, Mr. Porter, and he said, no. But I'm here in Mr. Porter's place. And the judge says, are you guilty or are you not guilty? And the person standing in for me says, I'm guilty. Not because I did it, but because I'm going to take that. I'm going to take his punishment. 
And what happens as a result is that although I've been judging myself on my poor performance for my entire life, Jesus takes his perfect performance and he gives it to me and he takes my bad performance. And what happens as a result? There's exaltation. What's exaltation? It's now a sudden lifting up of the life. It now says this, that courtroom battle that happens in my mind all the time is no longer my courtroom. It's not in my county. I didn't do anything there. Jesus is the one who stood in for me, and that courtroom no longer reflects on me. It no longer has any bearing. So the person who says something about me, when they say, you know what, this is who you are. This is the verdict about you. I don't care what you think. And guess what? I also don't care what I think. Now the only person that I think about is Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who went to the courtroom for me. So when I go to Facebook and I say, you know what, I just want to see who likes my post. Or I'm hoping that I'm going to get more likes or shares on this one. What I just did was I entered into the wrong courtroom. And I said, you know what, I'm going to submit myself to this courtroom again, and I'm going to let it speak into my life. I'm going to let it give me value and meaning in life. I'm going to make it my ultimate hope and dream. When I say, you know what, I'm unsuccessful and I'm depressed, I have to step outside of myself and just say, self, what's going on? Like, what's happening? You're going into the courtroom, but Jesus already went to the courtroom. He already took it for me. He, he already took the blame. Why are you entering into that? Because that no longer has a hold on you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Yeah, yeah, I can clap for that, right? The law of sin and death, the root of it is this. I can do this on my own. I can make this happen on my own. I can be successful in and of myself, and I will take all of the credit for that. Or I can be unsuccessful all on my own, and I will fight and I will battle to make that work. I will do it all on my own. That is the sin of pride. The law of sin and death is inextricably tied to pride. My pride is driving me towards something else. But what does Jesus do? Jesus brings in a completely different scenario so I can no longer take credit for my success. My success, my exaltation does not come from my ability to meet some arbitrary standard out there or in here, but it comes from Jesus. Your success in life cannot be fulfilled by what you think about yourself. Your self-esteem matters not. What matters is what Jesus thinks of you. And this changes everything. It changes everything in life. Because now it's no longer about meeting some other standard. But it's resting in and the fact that God has met a standard for you. And so I get to boast in the exaltation of Jesus Christ and what he's done for me. Let me give you an example of that. Uh, 1 Peter, if I can find it here. 1 Peter 
chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. You're not successful on your own. Your inheritance didn't come through you. It comes through Jesus to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You don't have to show up to Facebook day after day. Do I have more likes? Do I have more likes? Do I have more likes? No, it is an imperishable inheritance. It's kept in heaven for you. God's value over your life matters infinitely more. What Facebook says or what Twitter says matters not. Your bank account does not give you value. Your exaltation comes from what Jesus has given you. Now, one more. Isaiah chapter 53. Many of you know the, uh, I thought I had it marked in my Bible here. Um, There we go. Isaiah 53. Let me tell you how to walk around in humility. You've got some success. Have you been successful in life? You've reached some goals. You got your CPA. You've made it in business. You're a great mom. Have you had some success? Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hid their faces or hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. The person who has had success and is tempted to say, somehow I'm successful and that gives me value in life, needs to look at their humiliation. I esteemed him not. The only person that deserves value in the world was not esteemed, and that was me. God is the one who causes me to love him. It's not by my own strength that I do that. God calls me to himself, but I esteem him not. And you know what this brings? This brings humility. Oh, Lord Jesus, bring humility into my life because you were the perfect example of humility. Is Jesus your exaltation? Is he your humiliation? You will be broken and you will be battered. You will be shattered on the rocks of life if you keep letting that courtroom speak into your life. Stop. In the name of Jesus Christ, stop. Give your life to Jesus Christ. Give those moments to Jesus. Give that to him and say, I will boast in my exaltation because of what he's done. I will boast in my humiliation because of what he's done. It's no longer dependent on me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, may we be people of the cross who understand something. And that is that this this crud that goes around in our society 
making us think that we either have value or don't have value based on what others think or what we think. And Lord, I'm praying that we would be people who are deeply rooted in you. That we would be deeply rooted in the idea that you were ultimately humble to the point of death. And you did die and you went to the the cross, and then you went to the grave, but you rose from the grave. And so what you say matters simply because of your resurrection. Lord, may we have hope in that, that it brings us true meaning in life. Whether we need to find hope in exalting in what you've done for us or find hope in and through humility, Lord, may we learn from you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.